The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. <laughs> you what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Or not, he's not here. He's not. He, uh, Jay is uh, spending some quality time with his family, so it's just Keith. It's just the K show. Okay? Okay. I'm not going to call it the breakdown. That uh, that one, I think, has kind of run its course, but... Uh, excited to have another edition of the Jay and Keith show that's just Keith this time. But I will not be alone on this edition of the show. Coming up in just a few minutes, ETSU women's basketball head coach Brenda Mock-Brown will join me. We'll talk about the decision for her team to continue their season playing postseason basketball in the WBI, which of course you do still have to get an invite to. But how much of a priority was it for her to end the season on a high note? Uh, and what does she hope her team will gain out of this experience of playing postseason basketball when so much of the team is expected to return next year? Uh, as we get through some news and notes, some things that just kind of, you know, I guess you call them rip and read, would be what we call them in, in radio parlance. You just grab it off the copier and, and you read it into a microphone. You can get in trouble that way. Ron Burgundy almost did torpedoes his entire career that way. Uh, Justin Gray was named the NABC's uh, District 21 Coach of the Year. And I think a lot of people were be surprised that Gray uh, didn't get more recognition in the SoCon end-of-season accolades. And, and I think that's understandable that people would be surprised by that. I thought Gray did an unbelievable job uh, putting a, a really good team together for a program that doesn't really... Or he's done some things that that program's never done before. Like, they beat ETSU three times in one season. They, they've never done that before. They got to the semifinals. They had a reasonable chance to beat the team that ultimately won the Southern Conference, which probably stings a little bit because, on the one hand, yeah, you, okay, you lost to the eventual champion, but also... You might have had a puncher's chance at Chattanooga in the championship game yourself. So uh, I thought that was uh, well-deserved awards for uh, another great up-and-coming coach in the SoCon. Uh, the, the searches continue two openings in the Southern Conference right now. Of course, ETSU has one of them, and the other one belongs to Wofford. And I think you can look at both of those and say that they are that they are good jobs right in 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 a vacuum those are good jobs they're places that you can recruit to whether you recruit to the intense passion of the fan base you recruit to the facilities uh, you recruit to the campus experience whatever you're recruiting to you have the ability to get players into those programs mike young showed you can do it at wofford and uh, plenty of coaches have shown that you can bring talented players to ETSU and you can win a lot of games and you can pack out a, an arena that's loud and rowdy and fun and full of people that are there to have a great time cheering on the Bucs. Um, that being said, those programs are going to have new head coaches and they are going to have to take advantage of the transfer portal, which is opening once again. It's opening again. 
day, what is this, day three. Portal Watch. Well, it's, uh, it is quite a watch. Verbal commits, I don't know how they're doing it. Uh, I don't. I, they're, they're doing this without their website completely collapsing under the weight of all the traffic uh, and all the necessary updates. Um, as of 2.34 p.m. Eastern on March 15th, 443 players, just Division I, 443 players in the transfer portal. If you want to toss in Division II, which I will for the heck of it, there, that's another 410. So 850 players in the transfer portal and a few new ones added in the Southern Conference. Most notably, speaking of Wofford, Jackson Pavletsky. Uh, I, I was kind of wondering when that might happen, uh, given you know Jay McCauley being uh, uh, let go as the head coach and that change in the process that... You know, a lot of players might have a mindset of, I came here to play for someone specific. That person's no longer here. The circumstances under which I committed to the school have changed. And so I want to explore my options. And that doesn't that does happen a lot. And it happens more nowadays than maybe it has in the past. But Pavletsky is off uh, into the transfer portal. Was... An excellent freshman for the Terriers and will be sorely missed. And between him, a BJ Mack, and Messiah Jones, you're talking about Wofford losing 55% of its scoring. Just those three not accounting for additional other departures that uh, may happen or may have already happened or may be pending and just we don't know about them yet. Uh, more players have departed from Mercer, according to verbal commits. Shannon Grant and David Craig are in the transfer portal, a couple of uh, rotational guys, kind of on the tail end of the rotation. And uh, Sean Walker Jr., the guy who broke Josh Taylor's wrist and shoved Jaden Seymour in the back for no reason on a runout, that guy is also in the transfer portal. As of right now, Mercer appears to be hanging on to Jalen McCreary, their leading scorer, but you just never know. There are still 57 days left for him to put his name in the transfer portal. So it's uh, not exactly an open and shut deal that anybody is staying with any of these programs. Uh, you're, you're just kind of holding your breath and hoping for the best. Would not expect any churn or any additional churn from Western Carolina just yet because they are playing postseason ball. They're in the CBI. Furman, same deal. Samford, haven't seen a lot of Shifting and shuffling yet. Not sure what to make of that. Uh, but certainly uh, Chattanooga in a position as well where I think they got some players that are going to come back that are going to make an impact for them. Most teams will have an open scholarship or two that they can be active with in the transfer portal to try to add talent. And there is a lot of that talent. Though you've heard me say before, I think conventional recruiting relationships are still very important because when we get to 2025 and a lot of these graduate transfers with a fifth year or a sixth year because of the COVID waiver are out of the system, 
it's going to get a lot tougher to come by that veteran talent that you're trying to infuse your programs with. So you need to be able, you need to still have those high school relationships in your back pocket, be able to bring your own players in as 18 and 19 year olds and develop them and then supplement that, fill holes with the transfer portal. Jay would appreciate this. It's the New England Patriots model. You use the draft to add talent. There's no draft in college sports. But you use the draft to add talent and free agency to plug holes in the NFL. In college sports, you use recruiting to add talent wherever you can. And then you use the transfer portal to fill gaps. And I think that is still viable even at the mid-major level, just like it is at the high-major level, uh, just like it is through different mechanisms in professional sports. But you want to talk about transferring far afield. Uh, Furman's band will not accompany Furman to the NCAA tournament. They got North Greenville's band to fill in, and you're thinking, wow, that's really disappointing that you didn't have your marching band there. And listen, ra- ragging on a private school is uh, always a fun time. But at the same time, as a public school kid, right, it's, it's always fun to, to rag on the, pub- on the private schools. My sister went to a private school. Uh, but it, it's just a, the case of the worst possible timing for the best case scenario to happen. Furman's band was invited to play in the St. Patrick's Day festivities in Dublin, Ireland. I believe it was Dublin. And they are in Ireland right now for St. Patrick's Day weekend. Uh, They were originally supposed to go in 2021, but no one was traveling. They couldn't get there, so they pushed it back to 2022. And then they still couldn't get there, so it got pushed back to 2023. And they're like, okay, this time... We're definitely going. It's going to happen. We're going to make this work. Oh, the men's basketball team just won the conference tournament for the first time in 43 years. So there you go. There you go. Whoops. This is just sheer bad luck for everybody. That happened to Jay Sandoz in the 2013 A-Sun baseball tournament. The Kerry Doan-led Bucks under Tony Skoll. I want to say they were the four seed, maybe, and they won the A-Sun baseball tournament somewhat unexpectedly, and they went to a regional, and Jay had to cancel the vacation, and that is a lesson that you only learn once based on the amount of money that comes out of your bank account as a result of canceling a vacation last minute. Uh, Jay buys the insurance on every trip he takes everywhere and will forever. All right, let's uh, let's take a trip to Lexington, Kentucky, shall we? Well, that's where we're going to go uh, later this week, this weekend. Delighted to have radio coverage of ETSU women's basketball in the WBI and delighted right now on the Jay and Keith Show without Jay to have the first-year head women's basketball coach, Brenda Mock-Brown, on the show. <laughs> show that's just Keith, no Jay. Jay's in the nation's capital, I think, spending some time with, uh, with family, having a good time. Uh, we will be headed to 
Well, no, it's not the capital of Kentucky. The capital of Kentucky is Frankfurt. Uh, I always I got Neve Brown on that earlier this year. It's like, is the capital Louisville or Louisville? And uh, I said, neither. It's Frankfurt. And she uh, she looked at me like if we were not in polite society, she would <laughs> it would have been an unpleasant experience for me. But um, it's it's a pleasant experience to be around this ETSU women's basketball program that uh, has tied the school record for wins in a season. Now has a chance to set it and uh, score the program's first postseason win of any kind in over a quarter of a century. Uh, head coach Brenda Mock Brown is with us, uh, putting the wraps on year number one at the helm. And uh, Mock, it, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming over. I think this is your first time in the in in the the, the Buck Cave. I guess we can call it that. I don't know. It's the back of Jay Sandoz's office, Jay's closet. Jay's, Jay's closet. I like. There's Plato's closet, and then there's Jay's closet. Um, yeah, I, I may have been here. This is actually my third time. Okay. Uh, but you, because you had not arrived. What, when was your first date? Uh, my first day was in late September. Okay, yeah. So when I got hired in August, I did come do a short uh, segment with Jay okay. and then maybe a, a season preview. But it's it's been a while. It's, it's been it's a while. Been a so minute. it's glad to be back here in the in Jay's cave. Uh, and you, you've earned your rights, too. I mean, this is Jay and Keith's cave. Come on. Yeah, it's the JK cave. Is it's the JK. Okay. It's the JK yeah. cave. Uh, um, no, it's it's been – no, this has been a uh, – I'm just delighted that we're doing this, you know, instead yeah. of just recapping this season and talking about what what our program looks like going forward in the spring and spring workouts now we're talking about postseason play and that's the ultimate goal and it's really difficult to get at this level you know us those of us operating in the one bid league we're not going to get these at large opportunities in most situations and so you either have to win your league or um be at the top and uh we were right there for the wnit i thought uh but i was not surprised we did not get in we were probably hmm, one or two good wins away from being an at-large there which i think and i haven't done the research on this keith you you may know this i I don't but i don't think there's an there's been an at-large uh team chosen for the wnit uh, I know we have the automatic qualifier every year, um, and from you know because the WNIT is a little bit different than the NIT. Each conference, all 32 conferences, have an automatic qualifier, right. but I don't think there's been an at-large. So we were trying to make a little more history, but I, I understand uh, no qualms with that choice. I get it. I'm, I was so delighted though to be selected for the WBI, yep. and we are preparing for that and excited to leave tomorrow. How important was it to you? that this team season after everything that you'd accomplished and everything you'd achieved and everything you'd done as a group to grow and, and, and succeed and bring so much uh, positivity into a program that's been in sore need of it how important was it to you that this team's season didn't end on the note that it ended on in Asheville I think it was critical um even before we laid a big egg <laughs> I can say that I'm the I'm the coach. That, that's what we did. You know, the Chattanooga game was not reflective of the quality of basketball that that this team has potential to put on the court. I think everybody knows that. I mean, you know, even chat was a bit of our what do you call it the the thorn in the side, the Achilles heel, the how many uh, yeah, of those? I call, I'd probably Achilles heel. Yeah, Achilles heel. Uh, you know, nemesis would probably nemesis. Make it with you. you want to stick with Greek mythology? That's that's yeah. Uh, the arch nemesis and you know it's kind of cool I mean I think we have well established a rivalry there we've reignited that uh, th- those were some heated games and I could tell that that Chattanooga was was a little more excited to play us and and than they were some of their other opponents but um, that was the one team in the Southern Conference we did not beat um, yep. 
But, uh, you know, the other, the previous two times we played them, we certainly didn't play as poorly as we did in the conference tournament. And, you know, you and I could talk about that. We have with the team. You know, we tried to diagnose, okay, why did that happen? But anyway, that's not what you asked me. Um, so, for for but before that game, we had been talking about postseason play. I right. told the kids before we even entered into the Southern Conference, uh, before the Western game, I said, look, uh, with our resume, we're we're most likely headed to some sort of postseason play. Now, what that postseason play looks like is up to us. Uh, but w- this is and this is where the program. That's always going to be a goal of this program. I had no idea at the beginning that we were going to accomplish that in the first year. So, to answer your question, I mean, this is huge for us. It's huge for as a reward, but it's also huge going forward. It's huge in recruiting to be to say you're still playing. You know, when I was the head coach at UNC Asheville. We went to two NCAA tournaments and then two WBI appearances followed that. And so, you know, to, but to be able to say at UNC Asheville, we went to postseason play four years in a row, that was huge in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, it's impressive at, at this level. Uh, you know, of course, going to the WBI also requires the support of your administration. Um, and, and that's something I want to, you know, thank Doc Sander and, and Steve Cunningham and, you know, with their creativity and, and uh, allowing us to go because unlike the NCAA, um, you know, you have to kind of, uh, you, you have to pay more, you have to pay your own travel and et cetera, et cetera, to play in some of these uh, postseason tournaments, along with having the resume to get in them. Um, it's, right. it's not just pay to play. But, of course, the NCAA subsidizes and, and foots the bill for a lot of the travel cost. The WBI is unable to do that. And so um, so that stuff comes out of our budget. So did you have a prior relationship with the people that run the WBI? And, and how important was that in the sort of the courtship process, I guess, to get your team to Lexington for this tournament? I did not. Uh, okay. There's a young lady named Kelsey Long. She was there last year. So last year was the first year that they um, began or, or started a, a new format with the WBI. Right. It used to be a 16-team tournament. Now it is an 18 tournament, and it's set up like an MTE. You mm-hmm. know, there's a there's a winners, there's a loser, there's a consolation bracket, and so you get three guaranteed games, which I think is fantastic. Uh, difficult at this time of year. Yeah. I mean, it's like we're going to play another Southern Conference tournament, but um, also you know, we've, we've been practicing for a week and a half. So to be able to play three games and get three opportunities for some of our younger kids as well uh, is going to be extremely valuable for the future. And so I, looking at the teams, I mean, regardless, I did have a conversations with them. They sent us a notice, you know, a, a, a email in February and told us we were on their watch list and um, sent us a contract. And then, of course, we waited until after our, our season was completed to, to fill that contract out and proceed with, you know, we're gonna, we would like to be in the WBI if we're not selected to the WNIT. And, and so, but I think our resume um, in looking at some of the other teams, I mean, our, there's, there's some really good net scores in, in this bracket. Um, and so I'm, I'm impressed with that. But looking at our resume, we were, or looking at the bracket, um, we are up against FIU, which they play in a, a tougher league, I'll yeah. say. Uh, a much tougher, tougher league and a higher net score and you'll, you may have to explain. I, I'm sure our listeners who listen to this probably understand what the net is and kind of what goes into that. But it's a um, obviously a metric that the NCAA and the WNIT and the WBI uses to select their teams. And it, it's, it's a combination of your schedule and your wins and your, their margin of victory, et cetera, and all those things. So uh, there's some really good net uh, teams with good net scores. But FIU has um, the lowest, so which would lead me to believe that we were seeded the highest Yes, uh, FIU is uh, 222 
uh, in uh, in the net, and uh, Conference USA is ninth out of thirty two conferences. Yeah, that's when, wow. And the SoCon's twenty third. Yeah, so so, yeah, so just to give you a, for some perspective, and and you know FIU and looking at them, they're they're on a losing streak coming into this tournament, but yeah, I think it was six or seven in a row. They're, yeah. they're a good team, yep. Keith. I mean, they're about to press the brakes off of us. Um, in the in the full court and the half court they're athletic uh it's interesting i I haven't put my finger on why i mean one that as you said the league is tough you know conference usa is tough um and i think they're the the winner of that league mtsu middle tennessee state is probably could be a cinderella story in the ncaa they're really really good um but they were 12 and 10 and you know they kind of hit this losing skid but lost a ton of close games so i don't think their record is reflective of the talent and of course again just to put some to frame it for everyone they played in a much tougher league than the southern conference so this this would definitely be like a bowling green uh kind of opponent you know that mid-major that george washington that we played early on i mean they're different stylistically but in terms of that solid mid-major program that's that's fiu do you think your team is better equipped now than they were when you played those opponents yes handle that Yes, offensively, um, we haven't been turning the ball over, but this is a team that could turn us over. You know, if if I feel really good if at, you know, 2 o'clock on Friday, if we only have 10 turnovers on the stat sheet, that might be a miracle, one. Uh, but then we will have probably won the game uh, because FIU really uh, relies on uh, points off turnovers and, and generating offense from defense. So if we can take care of the ball and be the more disciplined team, I like our chances, but – um, but I do think we're better equipped. We've been improving all along. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I feel good about that piece. How important is it that you get three guaranteed games for your young players? You kind of hinted at this, but Journey McDaniel, Megan Dowding, Leah Cotton have been in your rotation. Uh, Jaylee has been in and out of the lineup. She's had a variety of different uh, issues that have, have sidelined her during the season, but is back healthy for you here in the, in, in the, the end of the year. How valuable can this experience be to help those three players take a big step? Because all of them are going to play considerable roles for you next year. Yes, I, it, this is critical. Um, you know, especially for Jalea Cotton. You know, the player you mentioned, and she, from Kentucky, by the way, Bardstown, Kentucky, uh, which I believe is near Louisville. So she's got she's got quite a few people that are going to be joining us in Lexington this weekend. But uh, for her, it's probably the 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 best you know the most important um because she like you said has been in and out of the lineup with injury uh, we we started using her she she worked herself into the rotation as soon as she was available uh obviously because she fits our system well she's athletic she can create uh but defensively um she's probably our best on-ball defender you know Neve Brown is up there but I think Jay Leah Cotton's got lateral quickness that you that could translate or transfer to the SEC to the power five level you know she's that kind of quickness and has that kind of athleticism and you know of course she needs some development she missed some key development uh key developmental opportunities during the season she missed our entire preseason uh which again that's you know for a freshman your ceiling is so high and she missed so many of those opportunities so another reason why the WBI will be beneficial um, but then also, you know, you know, I was talking to a couple of coaches like Gail Coates from Davidson, for example, last year. She had a ton of freshmen that didn't get a lot of minutes. And so she approached the WBI as just an opportunity for that. It wasn't so much about outcomes and, and, and so forth. For us, we are planning for the future, but this is for this year. 
you know, you, you run the race race to win it, and um, you know, I, again, it's not. I'm not. You know, we're, we we won't have failed if we don't win the WBI. Like I said, there's some stiff competition, but that's the goal, uh, one game at a time, and so. You know, we we want to give younger players experience, but we want to play and coach to win. And um, you know, and, and part of this is too, you know, that we we're not solely choosing to do postseason based on that Chattanooga game, but that's not <laughs> well, that's not the way we want to end the season either. Right. And thank goodness we don't have to. Right. Uh, certainly, it's it's more of a it's a bigger process than just that. You know, moment to moment like that. But uh, at the same time, I do feel like this is a group that. Um, has earned that opportunity based on exceeding everybody's expectations. So in in kind of a let's look back on this and laugh kind of context, at the beginning of the season, what did you think would be a good mark for this group, good win total for this group? Oh, gosh, Keith. Can I tell you Joe and Jackie's goals first? Sure. So Joe Silvestri, Jackie Alexander, they were here last year in the six-win season. They yep. recruited a lot of these kids that yep. are here, or the majority because uh, we had nine new players. So they said they would be happy tickled with 10 wins. 10. 10. Um, you know, obviously we got 23. <laughs> it's hard for me to answer that question. I don't know. I did not look at our schedule this year just because of the circumstances. I'm not saying I haven't done this. Hey, look, I've been in coaching now. To, I'm going to be entering my 20th year. But And looked at the schedule and kind of circled. Okay, I think that's a win. Let's go down. Oh, that's going to be tough. Loss. You know, oh, that's a win. I did not do that this okay. year. And then I had no idea really until we got into October and, and really played our first closed scrimmage down at Campbell. Okay, oh, this is what we're kind of working with. Um, because then you, you're playing against some other, somebody else besides yourselves or the practice guys. And um, so once we got into it and I saw the, the talent of Giselle Thomas, the talent of Neve Brown, the potential there, uh, defensively, what we could do you know Kendall Foley yeah. uh JJ Rufus Milner hello yeah. who saw that coming yeah no one I can tell you no one saw she that was coming. I believe she was the only player that got here after you arrived like she yes. had committed to come here but she was the only player that got here after you had taken the job this is this is correct and so who saw that coming and, I, and I, obviously we hadn't been able to talk about Jayla Rufus Milner in a while because she tore her ACL but I, you know, whether she would have gotten voted it or not, I think she would have had a, had a great shot at Defensive Player of the Year um, because you're just not scoring on her down low. And then obviously she was one of the best offensive rebounders in the nation. So when I started looking at some of that talent and those possibilities, I thought, hey, we, yeah, we can be what I always say in the mix. Yep. There's no reason this team shouldn't be in the mix when I was looking at some of the other Southern Conference scores, and then you start seeing other teams in your league play non-conference opponents, like common non-conference mm-hmm. opponents. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, this we can we can compete in this league, and we should compete in this league, and we did compete in this league. Was there a light bulb moment where you thought, oh, this this could be a really special year? I would think a lot of people would probably point to the Vanderbilt hey. win. Uh, as as a turning point where you go from hey this team is going to be a lot better than they've been the last couple of years to they're going to be a lot better than they have been the last couple of years. The Vanderbilt game was big. The the Jack State game for me. Yeah. I, 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 you know I think about the way I felt winning that game. I thought that was a crucial the the and, and it really wasn't well played at the end. We actually yeah. were up three. We could have fouled, but we fouled at the wrong time. We fouled while. <laughs> the Jack State player was shooting, and so therefore they had three free throws, but she missed. 
Yeah, not not great. But um, we won that game by one, and to me, I was elated. Uh, I felt very confident, you know, based on what Jack State had done last year. They were a WNIT team, I believe, yep. out of the Atlantic Sun. And so, you know, Plus I Plus another team that just pressed you both ends of the gym sure. just yeah. constantly. Mm-hmm. Athletic. And we were coming off of uh, winning, I believe, at, at, that was our St. Bonaventure Lafayette yeah. uh, coming on the heels of that. But then, of course, the Vandy, the Vandy game – was certainly a stamp um like hey okay i think that's probably the eye catcher uh, that that people not just in johnson city but around the nation probably became curious (laughs) what's what (laughs) wait a minute what's going on over at etsu and so and then you know after that of course that gave us a lot of confidence and just progressing on in our non-conference um and then getting better offensively i think that was a big piece If, if we had stayed the same in terms of our field goal percentage and turnovers uh we probably would have been more like 500 in the Southern Conference, but I think getting that that offensive, you know, here's the other here's the other the turning point in the conference play I think was down at Wofford, and you yeah. all could not come, you couldn't come to that game. I think Mike was there, but um, there was a, a a home men's game that day because we were at Wofford. Right, 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 right. Wofford was at the top of the league at the time. Um, I think, or or near. Mm-hmm. They maybe they weren't at the top, but they right. were they were up there. And I think the way we played there. Uh, also gave me some hope that we could we could win the league we didn't but we would have had it we could have had a shot you did have a shot mm-hmm. right right at the end yeah and I mean the way you just you know the hits that shot the jumper from the right block right at the end of the second quarter and it just felt like watching it on TV yeah they're not losing this game and then you come out and just sock them in the mouth in the third quarter and it kind of had I mean I, I sort of had that uh feeling that you know after J.J. goes down with the knee injury against Sanford. Courtney gets banged up with the knee injury. Come back against Furman. I look up, look down the floor. It's like, Cor- Courtney's in uniform. Okay. So that felt like a morale, like a turning point. Like, okay, it, it's it's bad, but it's not the worst that we feared. We can fight through this. And then Sarah hits three threes in 90 seconds in the third quarter. And you go out there and Vey and, and Kendall do what they were going to do their whole rest of the year. And it really felt like that was a moment where lesser teams would have folded and your group rose to the challenge and kind of had that same feeling you're talking about against Wofford of mm-hmm. yeah we're we're going to be okay even though this team has has faced some real serious adversity for the first time yes Furman another pivotal moment I mean the start of one of those four game many many win streaks that we had throughout the season uh we were trying to put one more together at the end <laughs> Um, but uh, the Furman game, Wofford, you know, followed by Western and, and UNC Greensboro, starting 0 and 3, and then finishing that first turn uh, at 4 and 3. I remember being in the locker room after the Greensboro game. That was our seventh conference game, which you know we only have eight teams, so <laughs> I, it'd be nice to have one more. That's another podcast. I wish we could have one more women's team, but um, oh no, we we beat that drum plenty on this. Podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, but then of course that's it's more than women's basketball, right? Mm-hmm. But um, yes, but continue. So so I was in the locker. We were at Freedom Hall, um, you know, which those. We enjoyed that, you know. We we enjoyed the doubleheader. Um, I, I thought it was great atmosphere. We loved having the band back. You know, the band didn't play in Brooks Gym uh, this 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 season. You know, the acoustics in Brooks Gym. There was some there was some contributing factors to that. It's not like we don't like the band. I love the band. Uh, you know, so that that was really wasn't my decision. But um, but you know, having the band, the fans. You know, it was we enjoyed that. And I, uh, you know, that after that Greensboro game. We were we were pretty pumped, 
Like, you know, people were like, but, you know, I, t- I told the team, I said, well, people were writing us off. Oh, you lost J.J. Rufus Milner. Uh, they've lost, you know, they, they lost a few games. Yep. Uh, they're going to be the same old ETSU, you know, that fifth or sixth, seventh place team in the league. And I said, wrong. <laughs> I said, we're here. And I said, we're here to stay. And, uh, and and we've got to go make our mark, and we can do it. And hopefully this four-game win streak has given you confidence. And, and it did. You know, I think our kids, we had confidence. Um, but we're still working on it, Keith. You know, we're not there yet. Uh, we obviously – we we've shown that we're a little bit fragile in some areas as well and and we know that we know that we need to work on that we know that we need to recruit to that in terms of that mentality and that competitiveness um that has the staying power you know to go from august to march Uh, and our kids are working on that and understanding what it takes to play at an elite level uh, still and so we're still this is still even though the success is there it's still a foundational year and even though next year we may have fewer wins i mean we also scheduled well i don't want to you know, um, I want to give credit uh, to our team. We What we did was amazing considering the circumstances, but we also scheduled well, and next year is looking right now like it's going to be a little bit tougher in the non-conference. <laughs> so. uh, I, I have a specific answer for this next question in my head, but I want to see where the head coach goes with it. Which player did you see the most growth from on and off the floor over the course of the year? The first player that comes to mind, I've got two in mind, but the first player that comes to mind is the one that had to. I mean, she had no choice, and that's Ja'Kaya Davis. J-Bo Davis. Well, and yesterday she told me, so we have this little uh, software system called Teamworks. Mm -hmm. And so that's where all of the, and I think other people in the athletic department use it. And (laughs) she, you know, it has their, we we pretty much map out everything. And I I want the girls to know what to expect. I'm not one of those coaches that's, you know, texts the practice time the night before or changes (laughs) it the day of. I try not to do that. I want everybody around the program to. Believe me when I say we all appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, so, but on Teamworks, they have the auto correct. And we've all experienced this you know when we're texting somebody so I you know I put their initials in but for Jabo I put JBO but it auto corrects to job <laughs> so yesterday you know Jabo's not going to let anything slide and the, the other thing about Jabo and I hope she listens to this but she is always looking for me you know if I'm talking and the head coach talks a lot I probably talk too much I try to shut up a, a little bit more and listen because I got a really qualified staff and I also want to hear what the kids have to say um, but you know we've got more airtime, and so we're gonna we're gonna stumble over our words a little bit, you yeah. know. So if I yeah. mispronounce a kid's name or mess up my words, you know, Jabo's right there, and she's giggling, has no has no problem calling me out. So yesterday in practice, she goes, or before practice, while they were stretching, you know, you put job on Teamworks, <laughs> and I said yes, I, I know that that happens sometimes. I really do try to recognize it, but. I put J-Bo in there, and it auto-corrects to Job. Job Davis. Job Davis. So we went from Ja'Kaya Davis to J-Bo Davis to Job Davis now. So there you go. Yeah. But, but J-Bo, and then, you know, I would say Kendall Foley's the other one. Yeah. Um, just, in, and, and hers was just, hey, she's coming in as a sophomore point guard. We put a lot on her shoulders. I think she started, you know, she put in the work in the in the, in the gym, you know, outside of practice. She studies the game. She, she's got a pretty good uh, basketball IQ. She's committed. Uh, and, and so she saw a lot of growth as well, and I think you'd agree. I mean, yes. did anyone really think that Kendall and I, you know, the accolades piece again? That's that's not that's not the ultimate prize, but other people did recognize 
uh, Kendall's contributions and growth. I mean, she was a second team all conference player. Um, and so I think that says a lot too about her growth. No one, she was on no one's radar before the season began. Yeah, Jaybo was the one I was gonna go with because, like you said, she she didn't really have a choice because Jayla Rufus Milner went down with the knee injury, and JJ has stayed engaged with the program. You know, sometimes players mentally, you know, they go through a lot when you have a season-ending injury like that, and and some players might check out as a almost like a, a coping mechanism or defense mechanism. She didn't do that. She leaned in harder. Um, how important has that been for you culturally, and how well has this group gelled? off the floor to this to, from the perspective of you're not having to um i guess um uh pick, uh, split a lot of hairs or or you know uh, go through little things and and be you know very hands-on with the maintenance of uh player to player relationships yeah jj has she is you know i mean 19 years is a lot of years of players to kind of sift back through in your mind and i don't have a great memory but jj's easily in the top let's just say she's in the top five in terms of mindset uh, maturity her approach to everything she does not just the basketball court or the locker room but her academics life her perspective um she's able to look at things with that thirty-five thousand foot view that we talk about and i think that's that really helps because a lot of our young people are can't see the forest through the trees you know what's right in front of me what's my what's the next thing I have to do and JJ has a plan and has it mapped out and can see how this decision might impact you know somebody else or the program or herself or she just the way she her approach to life uh, I think has been life-giving to our program and our players and uh, one of the reasons she's a captain uh, this year she was she was certainly uh, unanimous in terms of I gave our team kind of a survey of different characteristics and 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 kind of kind of uh, evaluating you know through getting getting input from from their eyes on each on each other uh, all in a positive light I didn't say who's the worst leader on the team <laughs> you know I, it, none of those questions were asked it was all like hey give me your top five you know xyz on the team and JJ was by far and away uh, our top uh, scorer on that team survey um no, you know, Keith, I haven't had to put out a lot of fires. There have been some. I mean, we're still, again, I, I'm not going to, you, you know, get you know that I'm transparent as they come. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've had to talk. We've had, I think what I love about our team and our staff, though, is we're willing to, it doesn't matter when it is or what game is coming up, we're going to have the hard conversations. We actually had to have a conversation after our uh, UNC Greensboro game. One, it was such a tough blow to the program. You know, it was the first time we'd been in the position to, hey, if we if we win these two games, you know, so it's we're coming down to the final two games of the season. We're tied. We're in a three way tie with UT Chattanooga and Wofford for first, and so we're at least. Hey, if we win these two games, it's we're at least going to have a piece of the pie. Right. Wow. Can you? That's you can big. hang a banner. We can hang a banner. And we lose the first one at Greensboro. And and credit to Greensboro, but mm-hmm. we were tight. You yes. were at that game. We were wound up like a yo-yo that wouldn't work. I mean, we were just, man. And um, so we, we had that going on. And then we, you know, we had some other relational things going on. So on on Friday, I'll be honest with you, Keith, I mean, we didn't practice. Uh, we, we had a culture conversation. We, you know, where are we at? Where do we want to be? We're we're on the eve of our last game of the season 
and we're addressing some of these things. And I'm not saying, oh, gosh, can you believe we're having to address some of these things? There's a lot of teams in that boat. They just didn't address them. And we want to talk about those things um, because how we treat each other matters. Our relationships matter. How we're feeling matters. You know, it can't govern. We can't be governed by our feelings. Please don't. You know, if we can get to the level that our team isn't governed and and we aren't governed as individuals by how we're feeling that day, um, that'd be great. Playing with emotion and not playing emotion. Yeah. And and, and don't come to, you know, I'm not, I'm just having a bad day. You know, I mean, we all have those, but can we still... Uh, show up and ring the bell consistently that's really hard to do for anybody but especially these young people but um, you know we wanted to talk about those things and so we I decided after that conversation you know hey what here's what we'll do the game tomorrow's at seven you know we'll have kind of a mini practice in that afternoon and then we'll go play the game you know because I really want us to spend time on what matters most and so no I have not had to put out a lot of fires but we do address things as they come and uh, I care a lot about these kids. I really do. Uh, it, this is more than just let's get the outcome. Um, that's just not motivation enough for me. Uh, I love winning, and winning's part of my job. There's no question. So that's what I'm here to do. Uh, but within that, what else? What else can we do? This is a vehicle, you know. And and these kids, what we're supposed to be helping them, and we're learning from them. I don't have all the answers, but we're supposed to be helping them with life decisions and navigating. Uh, all of these challenges that they have, um, creating a safe environment for them, uh, and and really uh, helping them grow, you know. And so, I think we're doing that, not perfectly, Keith, but we're we're trying to do that and and culture build. But it's a it's a it's a constant process. You're never going to arrive. Right. You're creating it daily. I guess I would say. I mean, with our decisions, our choices, how we talk with each other. I mean. So, um, yeah, we're committed to that. We got, we're coming up on the half hour mark. So oh, wow. uh, I will, uh, I'll go ahead and we'll, we'll wrap this up okay. uh, with this. What do you want your, aside from maybe a trophy would be very nice. Uh, what do you want your group to take away from this, this uh, three day weekend in Lexington? That's going to set them on a good path for a good summer and a good fall into a successful 23, 24 season. Yeah. What what I would like for them to to get from this weekend is the confidence um, that you know they can withstand. I think what 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 we're talking about now with our kids in these past couple of days can we get in the pressure cooker and not necessarily win, but can we stay consistent in our level of competition for three days? Ooh, that's going to be hard because we're, we're going to be facing some difficult opponents. Uh, FIU, I, I'm, just like I told you, the pressure and the pressing, and we tried to create that in practice, and I can already see where that that can be challenging for our kids. But can they make a mistake? Can they turn the ball over? And then they can, can they get back up? You know, what's our response going to look like? And at the end of those three days, if we can say, hey, you know, 85% of the time we were resilient. 85% of the time, you know, we – we rung the bell. I mean, we're going to have some lapses. I've still got a young team. But, you know, can we consistently compete for three days at the end of the season when bodies and minds are tired? That's going to bode well for the future, uh, individually and collectively. All right. That's the first-year head coach and the uh, SOCON Coach of the Year, Brendan Mock-Brown. Mock, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it and uh, ready to get on the bus and go to Kentucky. All right. Thanks, Keith. And thanks to all you out there who supported our program this year. And go Bucks. Go Bucks, indeed.
first-year head coach Brenda Mock Brown, SoCon Coach of the Year, richly deserved. And uh, I don't have to tell you, a smash hit in year one with the fans, with the community, and with the staff here at ETSU. We've all had a great time working with Brenda Mock Brown and the staff and the players. It's just a great vibe around the program right now. And excited to see what they do in Lexington this weekend. First game is Friday at noon against FIU. They were paired up with New Mexico State and UIC. So the winner plays the winner, and the loser plays the loser on Saturday. And then Sunday, the championship game is at 7.30 p.m. And I won't say set your radio dials for it, but I think ETSU is chomping at the bit. Should be a fun one. Jay returns to the Jay and Keith Show on the Buccaneer Sports Network next week. Oh, you got to be kidding me.